as the season that we're in, it's amazing to me how the words of the Lord that we've sort of prayed through and, um, you know, carved out have actually been super directive and super um, prophetic to where the church was headed. Um, we had no idea that when we said in 2020 that God was sending us, that he literally meant out of the building. Come on, y'all. <laughs> literally sent to our community, sent to uh, a different place and space to learn some things about him, which I think we'll be unpacking for years to come. Uh, but also, we're going to see this year's, right, return and rebuild. And the church is rebuilding. We're, we're I mean, at 11 o'clock, I don't even recognize half the people that are in 11 o'clock service. And so there's this influx of new people that God is bringing. And so we're in desperate need, again, and I will say that, of laborers, service people to serve, especially in the children's ministry. We're not able to offer it at 9 o'clock only because we don't have the ratios for kids. So if God is speaking to you, and thus Keith is speaking to you, um, use your QR code and um, get involved with what God is doing here at the house. Amen. So listen, um, we're going to start about a four to five week journey with a Bible character by the name of Ruth in the book of Ruth. Now, I will, I will say to you this morning that in all of the years that I've been teaching and preaching, I have never taught through the book of Ruth in my life. Um, I think that there's a little bit of a chauvinistic brain inside of here where I felt like this woman, this story is a better woman's Bible study than a study for me. But how many recognize that all of Scripture is, is useful and is good for all of us? Amen. And so I've traveled with this young woman in this story only to find that it speaks to every part of my life. Not only does it have national implications, but it also has regional implications and personal implications. Now, here, here's what I want to do to, to sort of set our minds again or reset our minds. And, and this has to be done over and over and over again. How many of you recognize that Bible the Bible characters that we read about and the stories that we read, these are human beings. These are not mythical characters. Characters They do not have special powers. They are passing through the same brokenness in their world, albeit in a different region, a different culture, and a different time, but they're still passing through the same issues of life that you and I are passing through our lives with and recognizing that God is at work in the meta-narrative, this, this, this overarching narrative that God is moving through the nation of Israel to redeem humanity, but also in the micro-narrative narratives, because even this, the way the book of Ruth is even situated seems weird. Right after the book of Judges, here's this story about this, this nondescript fan, family that doesn't seem, and in their minds, you need to realize, read the story through their experience, don't feel, feel like there's anything great happening in their lives. That, that how could anything you know, useful come out of the tragedies and the mundane affairs of their lives. And I think sometimes in our own individual lives, we get to passing through day in and day out, and we don't think that this story, smaller story in our life, impacts the greater story of God. How wrong could we be? How many recognize that if you are still here, alive, breathing, alive this morning, that means that you still have a part to play in the story that God is writing? Touch your neighbor and say, we need you. Tell them right now. Okay, so I, I want to, to say three things right out of the gate. One, these are real people. I've said it already. Two, how many of you know that God is never out of control? Never out of control. No matter how dark it got last year, God was always in control. No matter what the political environment said about our country. And even and here, here's when you really tell on yourself. I saw Christians crying on election day, and I'm thinking, what, did Jesus die? What, what happened? Why are you crying if God is still on the throne? Because how I many you recognize no matter who's in the White House, it doesn't really matter because I'm worried about who's on the throne of the universe, and that's my God who created everything. So that means that the destiny of America is not held in the hands of Republicans or liberals, Democrats. It is not held by any of them. Your country is ruled and overseen by the God of the universe, not the President of the United States. Hello? I'm counting on Jesus to intervene, redeem, and rewrite every story. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. And you know when you've placed your faith in the government system, when things don't go your way based on the natural systems of this world, and you lose your mind, that tells you I may have placed too much stock 
in what happens on this planet and not enough stock in what God is saying prophetically behind the scenes. Oh, I'll find something you like this morning. So Ruth is not just for ladies. Come on, ladies. My wife is looking at me like, I can't believe you said that. I'm just being honest. There is this sense that this story didn't have anything to offer. It's just sandwiches, it's just four chapters. It's not even that big of a book. And yet, how many of you found that in the Bible, reading the Bible, the smallest books sometimes carry the biggest punches? I remember the first time I read the book of James, I said, what could go wrong in just a few short chapters? And all of a sudden, James blew my life apart. I couldn't even talk. I'm like, oh, every word I say is wrong. Come on. Have you ever gotten yourself into a situation or traveled through life and life circumstances shifted and you had this question on your lips? Because this is who the book of Ruth is for. Where is God? Have you ever entered a night season of some sort and all of a sudden it made you, it was so dark, so tragic, so painful maybe, that you actually asked the question? Where is God in the middle of this? How, how could he be in the middle of this? And, and people have asked this question for different reasons and suffering persecution in certain countries. I'm sure Christians that, that are serving and missionary in, in adverse conditions often battle despondency and despair. And like, okay, so we're seeing one convert every 10 years and is anything ever happening? Is God moving? And all of a sudden you, you hear stories and I've had stories been in, the, been in the ministry a long time, and you see couples believe God. I had a youth pastor believe God. The whole youth group celebrated, and they had a child on the way, and it was great, and we cheered. And within the first trimester, one report came back that the child was having some difficulties. So you know what that is, ladies. Now you got to wait two weeks to have the appointment to tell you what's actually wrong. How many of you know doctors? That's, something is wrong with that, but anyway. They go back and find out that there's a genetic mutation or something's wrong with the baby and his skeletal system won't form. So our joy, the whole church's joy, went from there to here in just a matter of weeks. And they lost the baby at birth. And so you're standing there with this couple and they ask you the question, where's God? So, so therefore, you and I need to know and learn from, Luke, from Ruth and this experience in Naomi is that God is always moving, that God is always behind the scenes. Spoiler alert, in this story, as tragic as it goes, we're going to go to the depths with Naomi and then back up with Ruth and Boaz. But just so you know, spoiler alert, in this story, there's a man born from their love, from Boaz and Ruth's love in, in chapter 4 by the name of Obed. Obed gives birth to a man named Jesse who gives birth to a son named David who becomes the greatest king in Israel who ultimately gives birth to Jesus, the Savior of the world. So behind the scenes in this story, while you're watching us go down this hole with Ruth, I want you to always remember they didn't know what you and I know. Because you get to read it, and it's amazing when you get to read it. It's a whole nother thing when you have to live it and suffer and wonder all of those nights and doctor's reports and kids acting crazy and husbands and wives going nuts together. All of this brokenness, all of this human carnage, and behind the scenes, God is always working his good pleasure. Come on, give the Lord a good plan. God is always working his good plans. I'm sorry, pleasure. Okay, so let's start. With the setting, the work of God in dark times. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1. So, so here's what I'd like you to do. If you would, during the week, every week for the next four to five, and, and I say four to five because I always leave myself a little out because if I get more inspired, we'll add another sermon to it. But here's what I'd love for you to do. It's only four chapters. You can read it in 25 minutes. I want you to read and reread and reread once a week this story of Ruth for the next four to five weeks. And just live in the text. And I guarantee you, every time you pass through it, you will pick up something different. God, the Holy Spirit will illuminate something different. More than what we're even speaking about on Sunday morning. Is that all right? That's like only one person shook their head and said they would do it. The rest of you, come on, rebels. Okay. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 says this. 
In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, just so you know, Moab, this country is descendants from Lot, Abraham's nephew, and they were always at odds with Israel. Always, 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 okay? With his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's, name, his, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons was Milan and Kilon. They were from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Limelech, no, no, uh, Noemi, no, <laughs> say it for me, somebody. No, Naomi, I got, listen, I've got a Hispanic friend that every time I see her name, I call her Naomi, and her name is Noemi. And so I keep getting this tongue tied. Okay, say it again for me. Naomi's husband died. <laughs> she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and a husband. So right away in verse 1, we find something about the climate of the times that they lived in. Notice what it said, in the days when the judges ruled. And there was this 400-year period, 400 year period of time between uh, after Joshua's death and uh, literally Israel, like this period of time that the judges sort of ruled. So it's 400 years after Joseph, uh, after, jo uh, good grief, Joshua died and before the kings actually started to rule in Israel. And there was this dark period of time where it was said in the book of Judges that every man did what was right in his own eyes. How many know that's all chaos? And so everything is going crazy. It is a dark period of time in the nation of Israel. And if you've ever read through the book of Judges, you'll remember that there was always these seasons where they would, they would repent, do right, and then they would all of a sudden fall away. God would send some nation to discipline them, and they would send a judge to give prophetic word, and then they would do what? They would repent and do it all over again. None of us know anything about that type of cycle. None of us have ever did that, been on that train with the Lord before. And so there is that sense that it is a dark time. It is not a time uh, of, of great communion and consecration before the Lord. There's not a great time of integrity there. And yet Ruth becomes this shining light. In the middle of this dark time, this Moabite woman displays an incredible character and loyalty as she clings to Naomi, which we'll find. It's a dark time. How many of you know we live in a dark time? That, that we live in a time where the light is necessary. It is, it is important for you and I to shine brightly like never before. It's also important to say that, that in this period of time, all outward appearances of God's glory in Israel have been obscured. So there is no sense of victory. There is no sense of God is among us. It's just a dark time. And, and you'll go through seasons and times in your life where, where it feels like everybody ever read your Bible and it seemed like every line was jumping off the pages. And then sometimes you read through your Bible and you're like, I can't get anything out of this. Or you prayed and it felt like your prayers were just going to the roof and bouncing back down. And then there are other times where you pray and it feels like you're in an open heaven. Or you worship and all of a sudden you say Jesus' name and you got goose pimples. And then all of a sudden you say Jesus' name and you don't feel anything. How many of you know that through all of that, God is moving, ministering, and his good plans and purposes will never be thwarted. Come on. And so even in the midst of this season, God is working, and that is the overall thesis of this message this morning that I want you to get, that God is working in and through it all in your life. Some of you find yourself in victorious places today. Some of you find yourself in positions where all of your needs are met and there's no trauma or tragedy in your life right now. I am here to tell you that as you pass through this life, you will have adversity. It's not if, it's when. Come on, somebody. And you will have seasons where it seems like like, like they, they just change, like the seasons of, of the earth. They just change, and all of a sudden, there's a pleasant time and a springtime and a summertime, and then all of a sudden, it's bitter cold with tragedy and triumph. I got people in my life that are going through seasons now where their parents are now going to transition, and it's difficult to watch as their health declines. This once superhero mythical dad now is dependent upon the son or the daughter or the family to even survive. Come on, somebody. So seasons, say seasons. 
God is at work in our lives nationally, whether we recognize it or not, whether the people that we chose are in power or not, God is operating and ministering, and our faith should be in him and not people. And at the same time, while he's dealing with the national crisis and the global crises, he's also at work in your personal individual stories. Isn't it amazing that God can superintend everything and everybody and be so intimate and so imminent with you? That he can be in touch with the last tear that you cried. Can be in touch with the words you haven't even articulated about your pain and your struggle. Nobody even knows it sitting on your road that you've gone through what you've gone through. Or that you're even thinking what you think. And they're close to you. And yet God, five or six billion people on the planet, knows exactly what you are thinking. Exactly what you have cried. Exactly what you desire. Exactly what you need. Exactly what you want individually, and is wise enough to know when to bring it into your life. Come on, somebody, say thank God for his wisdom. So the truth about this that I found is that God is always laying a foundation for greater blessing in my life. It's always, it it doesn't feel like it. Now, Now listen, I understand that some of the materials that God uses to bring about victories in our lives, like the rejection and betrayal of people, abandonment of people, rejection of all kinds of things, that God uses. How many know God doesn't waste anything? That God uses it all. It reminds me of these shows. My wife likes to watch this show about subsistence living in Alaska. Coming off the grid and, um, you know, like, like 100 miles from the North Pole or some crazy stuff. How many of you know that, that if there's not a safe way, I'm not living there? Because I'm not that guy. I, I realize that there's some of you manly men that can dig a well and do all that stuff and skin and make, you know, a hat out of some animal. I got you. That's not me. I'll buy your warriors. But I'm, I'm not that guy. But, but there are some of them that, that you see them on these homesteads, and literally nothing gets thrown away. Nothing gets wasted. Everything gets repurposed at some point in time. And I just want you to know that every piece that has been fractured, or shattered in your life, bring it to Jesus. There's not one instance in your life that God doesn't intend to use it for his glory. But, but But the question is, will you bring the fragmented pieces, the shattered pieces to Jesus? Are you with me? Let, let's take a journey with Naomi real quick. And, um, Let's dive into her misery. Is it okay if we suffer or fall? This is a little bit, but not, not as many chapters as Job. How many remember Job and suffer? Anybody ever read through the book of Job and just suffered for like a month in devotions? Like, good grief, please turn this story around. So number one, we find that there's a famine in the land. And Elimelech decides to lead his family to Moab, the enemies of God. That tells us something about the spiritual condition of this family, tells us a little bit about Elimelech's leadership and their ideas as a family. Now, one of the things that you need to realize is there shouldn't be any famine in Israel. Can anybody say amen? The Bible says this in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 3 and 4. It says, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then will I give you your rains in their season and the land will yield its increase. So what we're finding out immediately is that rebellion has consequences, is that disobedience has consequences. I will tell you, as as a practitioner, as somebody who has followed Jesus, that even the pastor in disobedience will suffer consequences. So here's here's what you need to know about that. If the consequences don't come immediately, that is because God is gracious, giving you an opportunity to repent. How many of you can look back over your life right now and see the stubbornness of your life? Initially, God's dealing with you, and yet he kept being good to you as you turned in repentance. Anybody remember just God being good? I can remember looking at my life some some of the times that I least deserved the blessing of God was when God was gracious to give it to me. Anybody ever been there? And so here they are. They're in Moab. Shouldn't be there, but the nation of Israel, we found, is in a dark period of time. And so apparently there were resources down there that drove them, the famine drove them to Moab to live, to sustain themselves. And while they're there, Elimelech dies, and we just read it, and her two sons die 10 years later. 
and her grief is compounded. You can't read this story just fast and go through those verses and not feel the loss of a husband, ladies. The loss of somebody. Now, now you can say, well, those marriages were arranged. and Whatever it was, she lost him, and it created a problem, a real problem for a lady in Near Eastern culture to not be married. In Israel, women didn't inherit property. And so their husbands, they had to marry, have sons in order to find their self secured in a family, in a marriage. Men can put their women away for being barren. And so here she is in a situation where she's lost her husband. That's a tragedy. And so she's lost some sense of economic, but, but she got two sons. And so, okay, we're, we're good. But wait, then they die. Now she's got two Moabite women who definitely would not inherit in Israel, which another spoiler alert, by the way, Ruth enters the lineage and the line. She is an outsider. She is somebody that shouldn't be in the commonwealth of Israel. She is definitely somebody who should not be in the lineage of Jesus and the genealogy of Jesus, and yet there she is. I think God's trying to tell us a message about people that we would write off and people that we would say don't deserve and people who have habits and proclivities and brokenness that we don't have, and we begin to judge and sentence them to not being useful for God. And yet God goes and, get a Moab, goes and gets a Moabitess and uses her prominently in the redemption of the world. Tell me God can't use you. Tell me, don't tell me who God can use. Come on, somebody. I remember my pastor saying it this way. Do you recognize that the God of the universe has somebody underneath of a bridge pushing a shopping cart, talking to their imaginary friends that he can use to preach the gospel. So she has, so she has compounded grief, compounded grief, compounded. That means grief on top of grief. She's lost both her children, she's lost her husband, she's lost her security, she's lost any sense of a future, she's lost all of her hope, she feels abandoned by God. Isn't it funny that God never allows those that are vulnerable to stay that way? That he has the community around them, those that are vulnerable, the community takes up that position and protects and provides and nurtures and does what they can for those that are less fortunate. Are you hearing me? So, so in Israel, if you were a widow, this is, this is what God said in Deuteronomy 26 in verse 12. He says, when you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, in the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the priest. Now watch this. The foreigner. He mentions the foreigner right away. Hello, immigration. So, so here he is. He says, listen, when you bring in your harvest and you get ready to tithe it, here's where I want you to dispense it. I want you to give it to the priest, the, far, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. God is a good God. God is a good God. Those that are less fortunate, those that are locked out, those that are under, not privileged, those that are not nourished, those that don't have a, a security net underneath of them. God says, oh, I got a net for you. It's called my people. It's not called socialism. It's called the kingdom of God. Are y'all not talking to me this morning? It's called the kingdom of God. Does that mean that we recognize that God also expects us to work? Bible says also if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. But at the same time, our hearts, our hearts have to be open to be a blessing. Those of us that are blessed, we need to be those that would be generous and nourish other people. Amen? And so here's how widows get taken care of. The community comes around them. Here's how the fatherless, those without fathers, come around them. The community comes around them. Here's how the foreigner makes their way in Israel. The community comes around and provides. Look at how that challenges us. So a woman could be remarried. She could remarry, but she couldn't remarry a high priest. Or she could have a kinsman redeemer, which we'll get to. It's not my sermon, so I won't touch it. Coco's going to start next week, and I won't touch her stuff, but I got some ideas. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I won't touch the kinsman redeemer part, but that's coming. Do you hear me? Has anybody here ever really, honestly, can we have a conversation? How many has ever in your life felt abandoned by God? Anybody? Just wave at me. Just went through it. And in the midst of it, because of the trial, the trauma of it, it obscured 
your vision. Change your theology, I dare say, about God. It, it is not uncommon. And here's what I want to tell you. If, if, if I believe that God has done this bad thing to me, and if it's God and he doesn't care about me, then where do I turn to for hope and help? If, if, my, if, if what I'm going through is God did it to me, God did this to me, and I'm shaking my fist at God. And I've done that before, by the way. I've been angry at God. He didn't answer my prayer in the way that I wanted him to by taking my grandmother home. But he was wiser because he took her home to a better place and then leave her here debilitated with me. So sometimes God doesn't answer prayers because he's got something better in store. Or sometimes I'm just going through and I lose sight of God's goodness and I just, I'm just here to tell you that if you develop a theology that says there's no suffering, there's no adversity, there's no trials, there's no temptations, there's no setbacks, there's no suffering, that is not Christianity. That is not Christianity. That is not because you cannot find that in the scriptures. Everybody that followed Jesus went through adversity. Everybody had some persecution. Everybody scratched their head at some point and said, what is God doing? For goodness sakes, even Jesus said, listen, I don't want this cup of having to die on this cross tomorrow. Can it pass from me? So all of us are going to go through it. All of us are going to have challenges. All of us are going to feel left by God. In our pain and despair, here's what happens. Here's the challenge. Because in our pain and the despair of the trauma, we start creating these narratives about God and other people that are false narratives. God doesn't care. God's abandoned me. Nobody cares for me. Nobody's there for me. And all of a sudden, how many of you have ever had hopelessness sort of contaminate you and everybody you saw and everything you saw, everything was suspect. The whole world's going to hell in a handbasket and nobody cares about me. Nobody's calling me. I've been a faithful friend. I've been good to people and nobody's there for me. All of a sudden you get a phone call from one somebody. Anybody ever had that happen? Nothing's going through and all of a sudden you go pick up the mailbox and it's, it's not, it, listen, it's not enough money to meet all of the needs, but it's enough money to let you know, okay, God, I'm, I should shut up now. I should be quiet. You, you actually do see me, you know me. And so with this despair, Naomi decides, she hears and overhears, listen, in verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab, she's in Moab, and the report comes that the Lord had come to aid his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So she decided to return to Judah. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to Judah. How many of you realize that in the midst of Israel's disobedience, God relents and says, okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to roll back this famine and start providing for you again. Why? Because it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Come on, y'all. And so they head back. She's going backwards. She's going home. And, and you know from A.J.'s sermon that there is this idea of returning back home or from the prodigal in Luke chapter 15. There is this sense that we come to our senses at some point and we start heading back to the house. How many of you have found yourself in sin at some point in time in your life and the first thing you thought of was, I, I better get back in church. I, I, I should go back to church. I should... Where's that Christian friend of mine? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him or her and talk to them about going back towards to the house of the Lord. How many of you know that, that all of the questions that you have shouldn't stop you from coming back? That like, like it, don't wait until you get all your questions answered because that time never comes. There's enough information available to let you know God loves me. God sacrificed for me. God will never forsake me and never leave me. God desires me. There's all that information available. That's all you need to get back home. Bring all the pieces with you. Come on. Bring the pieces with you. So she sees no future for herself, but she starts heading back home because she heard that there was food there, so they go back. But on the way back, that compounded grief takes over her again. Verse 8 says this. Look at this. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as he has shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. 
So, so listen, what she's actually doing is turning these young widows backward because she recognizes that they can get married again. They can have a future. They can have a hope. They can still have children. But for her, she has no hope in sight. So she's actually, this is a kindness of her forcing them back. But, but how many of you have ever gone through a night season and you just wanted to isolate and just wanted to be alone? Just be by yourself after a while. So she's coming back with these two daughters of hers. And instead of them all clinging together and say, okay, we'll find a way through it together, she sends these young ladies back. And she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people, they start saying. But Naomi said, nope, return, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who you could become, that could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband even if I thought there was still hope for me. Hmm. There's no hope for her. But Ruth is a different sort. Here's what I see about Ruth in our generation with our young people, and I, I definitely want to say this to you, because there's something about Ruth that in the middle of this story, she has integrity. There's something about her that, that, that there's this deep sense of character in her, and I want to challenge all of the young people under the sound of my voice to be obscure, to be different. Don't be the same as everyone else. Don't, don't fall in line with the culture. It's okay for you to stand up and stand out, and you will stand out when you say, by the way, I don't want to have sex until I get married, not because I'm some square, but because I recognize that God's wisdom is better, and I've seen what the culture produces as wisdom. And I've seen what the sexual revolution has brought into our culture. And I don't want any of that. I want the good blessing of God on my life. And I'm willing to be ridiculed, persecuted, left alone to have God's best. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. Jared, sometimes you got to go by yourself. Ain't nobody going to go with you. You got to go by yourself. You got to be willing to travel. That's what a real man will do. Travel by yourself if you need to. You don't have anybody that's going to live the way that you want to live for the Lord. Do it anyway. God will reward you. God will bless you. And then you'll live long enough to see this. You'll see the circular patterns of people coming back around saying things like, tell me about God again. Take me to church with you again. You'll find them on that merry-go-round. Just don't you take the trip. Amen? So the ladies decide to part ways, verse 14. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Luke said, Naomi, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, listen to Ruth, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go uh, go with her, she stopped urging her. This Moabite woman, this foreign woman, this Gentile, as it were, displays more affection for this woman of God than Israel displays for the love of Israel, for the love of God. There's something about her. Isn't it funny that every so often God will use a sinner to rebuke the church? Every so often, you know, you be careful at, at your workplace. You know, all of a sudden you'll get somebody that, that is a sinner and they know you're a Christian and say things like, and watching you at work or at lunch or how you do your job and say, wait, 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 wait. I thought you were a Christian. Aren't you supposed to, anybody ever had that happen? Get rebuked by somebody who doesn't know God? Tell you how you're supposed to be serving God based on your confession because you're falling short? Here's what Naomi finds in Ruth is this person who is much more virtuous, much more integrous, much more loyal than anybody in the nation of Israel. But it's really not about Ruth right now. It's about Naomi. And she travels home not better. She travels home bitter. And we said that again and again, but, but listen to me. When, when, and and here's, here's the challenge, is when you go through trauma, when you go through trials, not if, when, that, that we don't just sweep things under the rug. You got to be careful that in certain family systems, when things go wrong or, or tragedy happens or abuse or whatever happens that, that's brokenness, we, they, they, don't, they don't deal with it. They just lift a rug up and sweep it under. And everybody just keeps on moving through the family. Everybody knows that thing is there. It's like Susan suffered, went through that, got touched when she was young by her brother, and everybody knows it. 
but nobody's going to do anything about it. So everybody knows that such and such is a drug addict and goes off and does whatever they do. But in the family system, we just tuck that under the rug and you just keep moving through life. And you start saying things like, yeah, I'm over that now. Not, not, you're not over it if you didn't deal with it and do the work to actually get over it. You, you're not over it. It's leaking out of you in every relationship. It's leaking out of you at work. It's leaking out of you in church. It's leaking right now on your roll. Oh, no, just keep looking straight ahead because everybody will think you're perfect and there's no brokenness in your life. And I'm here to tell you that from the stage to the back door to the parking lot, there's nothing but brokenness here. Okay, that's like five of you because you know what we do. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm putting my makeup on today. I'm going to church. And I'm putting my shoes on, my good sneakers and my holy jeans to preach in. Praise the Lord. Yeah, and everybody thinks when you get here, because you speak to everybody, hey, glory, that nothing ever goes wrong in your life. And that's what you've learned to teach them. Because you don't want anybody close enough to find out that there's all this. Look, the first person that comes into your life with a little discernment will be like, you know you got a bunch of stuff under the rug, right? You're like, and you're standing on it. What? What's the? That's how we've been coming to church for about 20 years. Not here, because in the bones of this church is healing and restoration, which is something we have to recapture. We're going to make sure that we carry that forward. There's not everything we can do like Ted did it or like Jerry did it or like Jason did it. We're not trying to do it like they did it. We're trying to find the foundation and trying to find the truth to give it a new vehicle for a new season. Are you hearing me? So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, this is now Ruth and Naomi only. The whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Which means pleasant. That's her name. Don't call me Naomi or don't call me pleasant, she told them. Call me Mara because the Lord has made my life very bitter. Went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Listen to her theology. Why call me Naomi or pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabites. Listen to me. The brokenness that touches our lives is not from God's hand. It is not from God's hand. I'll say it again. The, the brokenness that comes into our life, the murder, the mayhem, the sickness and disease was not God's intention for humanity. There is another will at work. It is called the will of man that rebelled and committed treason against God. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and unleashed havoc on God's creation. Therefore, God is redeeming that story, making things new in Christ, which is why we preach the gospel. In Christ, all things can be made new. Even this system, even this world will be made new. But first and foremost, we need to get our theology straight and understand that it is man's decision. It is our trouble. The trouble that has befallen your life has come through the decisions we made, not the decisions God made. Come on, somebody. God wants to bless. God wants to prosper. God wants to, listen, God wants to give you a great life. And yet we make choices. Our lives are the sum total of the decisions we have made. And the minute we take responsibility and say, yep, I did that, and say, God, I want something different, I repent, I'm sorry, and make a turn, then things can change. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right now. Come on. So I need to run. Naomi communicates through a filter, okay? We all do. Just so you know, we all have a filter from our traumas and our tragedies, the things that we've gone through. And she changes her names. Like, listen, don't call me Mara. I'm no longer pleasant. I am bitter. My whole identity has shifted because of what I've gone through. And that happens to all of us. And every single one of us is going to go through seasons and times in our life where brokenness overwhelms us. Hope and hopelessness seemingly takes us down. This story is hope for anyone that is in a tragic season in their life. Because it shows the tenderness of God in the midst of it all to bring us back and to redeem it and to rewrite the story. I kept thinking all last week while I was preparing this story, I, I sent Arlen 
uh, this sermon. I sent Arlen a picture of me preparing my sermon next to a slot machine in Las Vegas. Hello, somebody. <laughs> when you celebrate your 33rd anniversary in Las Vegas, there's not a lot of quiet coffee shops to find Jesus in. So you put on your noise-canceling headphones and you start typing. I started thinking about the filter that we nourish our children through. I started thinking about the, the heart that's been bruised and battered and broken through years of abuse and neglect that we try to love people through. And I started thinking about Naomi and I thought, man, what a tender mercy of God to give her a daughter-in-law like Ruth to come alongside of her to bring encouragement in life. And, and even in my own life, in the darkest seasons of my life, I can see God sending a friend or sending somebody along, a companion, a word of the Lord, some encouragement, something alongside to let me know that even though I'm passing through a night season, notice what I said, passing through. Say passing through. Even though I'm passing through a nice season, he wanted me to know and have a gracious understanding of who he is through a companion, a friend, someone in the midst of it. And he gives that to her. Amen? Whether you like it or not, adversity changes you. Trauma changes you. It either makes you better or it makes you bitter and resentful and it just changes you like it changed Naomi. She had no idea. I already gave you the spoiler alert that something good was going to happen in this story. It's a good story. But Naomi is stuck in the first chapter. She doesn't know that she has lost sight of the God of the universe. She blames him, and all the while, God is using her life. Listen to me. What if God is using your life as an illustrated sermon to write his purposes on? That he's using your life as the, as the canvas to paint something beautiful. Because all the while that this tragedy was going on, God was saying, Naomi, I've got you. I've got a story that I'm writing. And out of this story is going to come the salvation of the world ultimately. And I'm using your family. And on the backdrop of your tragedy, I'm going to, I'm going to paint a picture for generations to come of those that will pass through similar tragedies to know that I'm a good God even in the midst of it. And I've got a purpose and a plan for all of your suffering, for all of your brokenness. I'm going to bring something good out of it. I know it doesn't feel good, and nobody would ever want it. Nobody ever wants to sit in an ICU. Nobody ever wants to stay in graveside. And yet God uses all of that brokenness, all of that tragedy to rewrite our stories and to do something good, give us testimonies. Some of the best testimonies come out of the darkest nights. Those are, those are the stories that move you. Those are the songs when worship evoke emotion, deep emotion. Where did it come from? From a well of pain. I, in fact, here's the truth. I don't even want to hear anybody minister to me in anything that hasn't had pain and suffering. Because there's just something that comes out of that. That no matter what language, no matter what genre, what style, I don't care what it is, my heart resonates with it. Because that is the human condition. And God gets in the midst of all of that brokenness and chaos and rewrites stories. Can I run real quick through this? Here's, here's something I want you to remember. Disobedience always has consequences. Hello? Exaggerated emotions while in a trial are liars. Emotions while going through a trial, they get exaggerated and they lie to us. They tell us things like nobody cares, nobody's there, God doesn't care. That's all a lie. Stand to your feet with me all over the building, just for a moment of time. Coco, I'm going to give you the rest of my notes and you can start where I finished. She's going to be like, no, God gave me something different. And I'm like, that's what you get for marrying a very strong woman. Here's what I say to you in closing, those of you online as well. Naomi returned home. Everything collapsed. Her whole life collapsed in over a 10-year period of time. There was famine. She lost her husband, lost two sons 10 years later. The nation was in ruin. Her family was in ruin, and she decided to return home. First good move. Those of you that are here this morning, I don't know how you got here, who you came with, or why you came. But the first thing I tell you is that it all begins by returning back to the Lord. Back to him. He's like, but I got questions and I don't know all this stuff and all this theology and this stuff. I got you. There's always going to be a lot of questions. I still have questions. It, 
right? <laughs> Live with the Lord long enough and you'll have questions of him. But what you won't question is his plan of salvation. Because once you've experienced and tasted and seen that the, good is, the Lord is good and that his salvation comes in and removes the shackles and the chains of our lives once we're forgiven and placed in right relationship with him, that changes everything. Can you say amen, church? I want every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment of time. Is there anybody here that would say, you know what, I need to come home to the Lord? Not to church. That's part of it. But the first thing I need is a restored relationship with the God of the universe. And it is through Jesus Christ that it is possible. His sacrifice means that righteousness can be given to me by faith. If that's you this morning, you say, you know what, I need to be in right relationship with God. I got a lot going on. There is a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of brokenness in my life. But this morning, you said bring the shattered pieces to the Lord. I'm going to bring all that I have left to the Lord. And by faith, I'm going to make him the Lord of my life, as you say today. And if that's you, signify that with an uplifted hand. Say, that's me, Pastor. I see your hand going up, sir. I see your hand in the back. Anybody else? See your hands. If you got your hand up, look at me for a minute. Only those with their hand up. Did you mean it? Did you mean it? Back here, you mean it? I want to pray with you right now, if that's all right. Join me right here. Come in. Come out of your seat. Join me right here. Come on. Come on, give them a big hand clap. What's up, man? Good to see you again. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Come on, girl. God bless you. That takes a lot of courage. Come on, man. Come on. Look at me for a minute. So years and years, I would give people prayers to pray. But you know what? I stopped doing that. Because the simple truth of the matter is I've given you the truth of the gospel. And now the only thing that you need to do is in your heart, ask the Lord with your heart, not your intellect, and say, God, I'm a sinner. I have no hope of being made right unless Jesus comes into my life as the Lord and rules from this point forward. Does that make sense? So then take a minute right now. Bow your head before the Lord. The church is praying with you. Church, stretch forth your hand of faith to them right now. All over the place, stretch forth your hand of faith. You guys just spend a moment. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask him to come into your life. Be Lord of your life. Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters that are here, that are being added to the family today. God, thank you so much for them. Keep them, watch over them, the decision they made today. Believe you that it has eternal implications. Start today, and Lord, we just know you're going to be faithful to complete your work in their lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, look at me for a minute. I want you to do me a favor, turn to your right. See those people standing over there waving? I want you to go over there and make sure you give them your information and name so that we can stay in contact with you and help you on your journey. They got a little gift for you as well, okay? Go ahead. Go over there. Same with you online. You prayed as well. Put yes. I said yes in the chat. And there would be some people that would connect with you immediately. And uh, we'd like to get you started on your journey as well. But we've got a word of the Lord that I've been holding on to for the after this service. She came uh, in, my, in the green room while I was preparing, and I believe this is from the Lord. Go for it. So when we were praying before service, I had this picture of these dark valleys and mountains. And in one corner, I could see that light was starting to break through. And so I'm watching this picture, but dawn was delayed. It wasn't coming. And I kept waiting and I kept waiting. There are some of us in this room where we've been going through a dark season and we've been telling ourselves it's a tunnel, but the fear is that it's a cave. And your fear is that your dawn will never come, that the breakthrough is not just delayed, but that it's over. And this morning, you need a word that God is coming and your dawn is coming, your breakthrough is here. And for those who've ever given birth to something new, Oftentimes, 
in the medical field, there's a lot of interventions that'll take place. But if you've had a midwife, she will tell you to move. She will tell you to change your position. She will tell you to change your direction and your focus. And some of us, we need to move. We need to make that move. Our breakthrough is on the other side of the move. Father, for, let's pray for Jesus, you see us. Yes. You see us in the darkness. You see us in our fear. You see us in our timidity, in our fear of trusting you. We're questioning if you're still good because our hope has been so delayed. Mm. But you are good. You are good. And you are the God of breakthrough. You are the God of dawns and new beginnings. You are the God of hope. And we pray for that breakthrough, for that dawn to break through in our seasons right now. We pray for discernment. We pray that our ears would be tuned into your spirit so we could know to move, so we could change positions and align ourselves to your plans and your purposes. We are not stuck. You have a plan. We are not in a cave. You have a plan and a purpose to take us through it. And so, Lord, we pray right now, align our hearts to you, Jesus. Align our wills to you, Jesus. Align our minds, our thoughts to you. And let us move. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap. Come on. Amen. So listen, keep investing in relationships, yeah? And keep inviting people to God's house. We love you. Take care. Don't forget, read through the book of Ruth this week.